following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning. Good morning, good morning. This is on. We have a new, a new mic, so a new toy, so we'll see how this works. Okay. Welcome and good morning. Uh, We're looking this morning in Galatians chapter 3. And as we begin, let's uh, first pray and then we'll read Galatians 3, 1 through 6. Let's uh, let's pray. Father, we uh, do thank you so much for your amazing goodness and grace and that one of the things that you call us to is joy in you and to celebrate you. And Lord, we confess that we try to find joy in so many other places and through so many other things when the absolute true source of joy is just in you and knowing you and celebrating your goodness and love, uh, unending, unceasing grace. And so Lord, we come this morning to do that, to celebrate and rejoice in you and to, uh, to hear from you. And we ask that you would be, by your spirit, teaching us from your word, your truth, and Lord, we, we need your spirit, we need your your power. And Lord, may this be not just a human exercise, but one that's very much uh, ordained by and filled with your presence. So we give this time to you and ask you to fill it with yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read, looking in uh, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, If you've been with us as we've been going through the book of Galatians, you know some, or maybe you know anyway, some of the background or context of the book. Uh, The the church in Galatians were primarily uh, Gentile converts. Uh, Paul had gone to Galatia and had shared the gospel there and uh, had done a great work, and many uh, people came to Christ uh, not out of Judaism, but uh, as he would have called them, pagans, uh, Gentiles. Um, and, and things had gone very well there until uh, some false teachers showed, showed up, and apparently it seems that uh, it was the mission of these false teachers, this group of Judaizers, to kind of follow Paul uh, everywhere he went and try to undo uh, the very gospel that he preached. Uh, and these people claim to be Christians. They've claimed to know and follow Christ. Uh, they claimed uh, uh, and, and believed in Jesus, his death and his resurrection. But Paul says that they were preaching a, a false gospel because they were adding to the works of Christ the, the law. And they basically were teaching, yeah, Jesus is a good start. It'll help Gentiles kind of fast track to Judaism. But the ultimate goal is Judaism. The ultimate goal is to get all those pagan, lost people, into the the clan and into the religion of Judaism. 
And so they were uh, expecting and teaching them that they needed to get circumcised and do all the other things, follow the dietary regulations and cleanliness regulations and actually temple worship that the Jews practiced. And they said, you're not really a real Christian. You haven't really arrived at the, the whole thing until you've not only accepted Jesus, but also come under the law. And uh, so Paul's writing this letter. Uh, this is one of Paul's earlier letters and uh, really the first time um, uh, historically when Paul starts really waging this battle. And of course, if you are familiar with the New Testament, you know that most of his letters are dealing with this very issue, but he deals with it in this very direct way with the Galatians. And he starts off um, with all the diplomacy and tact that only Paul can come up with and calls them, you fools, you idiots, right? Um, I'm thinking I'm not going to get away with that, right? Unless I'm just quoting scripture. Uh, probably uh, commentators tell us that back in that day, you could, uh, you could call people names like this and it wasn't quite as offensive as it might be today. I wouldn't advise this as a, like an evangelistic strategy. You moron, why don't you know Jesus? Uh, may not actually be very effective, but I think Paul thought it would work with them. Uh, so he, uh, he calls them fools. And the idea of fool is not so much a person of folly, but the idea is here is a, a person who uh, either has an insufficient or mistaken use of mental powers or a deficiency in understanding. And certainly Paul believes that they have a deficiency in understanding, that they are misunderstanding uh, uh, what, what he taught them. And they are, they're falling short of a true knowledge of the gospel, and they're letting themselves be influenced by these false teachers. Now, of course, the context is very different for us, um, and, and probably most of us uh, are not being influenced by Judaizers who are tempting us to go into Judaism, uh, but uh, nonetheless, the principles here uh, have value for us in a couple ways. One, uh, Paul unpacks some just incredible theology about the gospel. And so we will see that. Uh, but also, it helps guard us against uh, our own forms of, of legalism. We may not be drawn to the law of the Old Testament, the law of Moses, so much. Uh, but human nature is that we love law. I, I love Adam and Eve in the garden beginning of time before you know books had been written or uh, laws had been passed except for one God told them do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and Satan comes and tempts them and between the time God gave that command and the time the serpent comes that one law had doubled into two right magically because when the Satan asked Eve, you know, can you really eat of all the trees? And she said, yeah, all of them, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we can't eat it or touch it. I didn't say they couldn't touch it. Use it for firewood, I don't know. He didn't say that. He just said, don't eat it, right? So it's human nature. We like uh, rules and laws. We like to multiply them. So uh, it's important for us to keep our faith rooted in the gospel and not uh, the tendency that we have to fall into law. So let's look at uh, and unpack this uh, as Paul talks about this. And his uh, argument here, he's arguing against um, going back to the law. So it's important to see his context. And he basically does it by asking a series of, a series of questions uh, uh, to unravel their confidence or their faith or this pull into following uh, the law of Moses. So he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
the idea bewitched has, could, could, could mean, we don't really know what Paul meant exactly by it. It could mean placing them under a spell, causing them confusion by false teaching. Uh, interesting, the word literally means to put an evil eye on you. Uh, and in the Greek version of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28 uses this exact same word, an evil eye, when it's talking about Israel falling under the curses because of covenant unfaithfulness. So it could be here that he's talking about coming under a curse, uh, but not, not the blessing of the law, but that to follow the law was actually to come under its curse. But then he goes on to his main point, his, his, his thesis, if you will. He says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Um, Paul, Paul talks about coming to them, and he had, he had, he'd gone there with the gospel, and he himself had been the one who had brought the message. And Paul starts here with, uh, with a very different message from what these Judaizers were teaching. And it was a message rooted in Paul's original teaching of the gospel. Um, and this is where we need to start uh, and keep, uh, our, uh, keep it always before us as our anchor and our fixed point of reference. Right? Uh, Jesus crucified. Right? And Paul says a couple of things here. First, he says he, it, was, it was before their eyes. He had showed up in person and he had proclaimed this message in their presence in front of them, uh, personally delivering this gospel message. So he knew and he was confident about what they had heard because he's the one that, that, that presented it. Uh, but he describes this message, the content of this message this way. He says, what I presented before you was Christ crucified. It's an amazing picture. It's, it's, it's as if Paul, by his preaching and teaching and, and as he lived it out before them, he says, what you saw was not just some crazy preacher, somebody teaching some uh, new religion. He said, what I put before you was a very image of Jesus on the cross crucified. And I think if we could, if we could summarize Paul's gospel, which, by the way, is the gospel of the New Testament, in two words, these two words would capture it. The gospel is Christ crucified. Now, of course, there's more to it, and we can expand it and expound on it at length, but those two words really capture what we mean when we say the gospel Christ. Who is Christ? Well, Christ is Jesus who came from, from heaven to earth, incarnate, took on human flesh. But he came not just as a person, he came as the anointed one. Christ means Messiah, the promised one. The one who uh, would sit and reign on the, uh, as the descendant of David uh, uh, as king. And, and that's Christ. He is the anointed king. Uh, come from God. Um, but not only that, he is Christ crucified. Right? If we really understood the significance of both of those words, they, they would seem to not go together at all. The king who died. Right? Kings don't die. Kings send soldiers to die for them. Right? Uh, and a, a good king may go into battle and he may actually die, but it's surrounded by his army. But this is Christ crucified. Uh, not dying in a noble battle, not charging in on his, on his white uh, stallion, armed at battle. Now this is, this is Christ the King who went to the cross as a criminal, right? as one convicted of crimes against him. And we know that his crucifixion was as a substitute in our place. 
But he is ultimately the king who died for us. He's our king. He's our Lord. He's worthy of our allegiance. But he's a king who died in our place as a substitute. But that's what crucified means. He went to the cross taking the wrath of God that we should have received. The blows and the beatings and the punishment for our sin. Right, so that's the gospel. He says, and he says, Paul says, I, I set that before you. I, I portrayed Christ in a way that you could not miss it. And they did not miss it. They responded to that message and they received Christ. They saw what Jesus, uh, what, what Paul set before them. Right? And, that, and that's the message. And Paul says, not only did the, this message was vitally important, and he says that I came and I actually uh, portrayed, publicly portrayed this message before you. And there's some debate uh, on what this word publicly portrayed means. Um, uh, one would, would have the idea that it was a very public format, that Paul was out there publicly proclaiming this message, which was probably true. Uh, but it can also have to do with the, the way he presented it. Uh, and that he presented it with great uh, dramatic uh, flair and intensity, that he wasn't calm or quiet about this message, that he did it with great energy and zeal and passion as he proclaimed Christ crucified in a way that they could not miss. Um, and that message, as Paul will, will unfold through the rest of the book, that message, Christ crucified, is everything. And it is in opposition to the law. It is a new system, a new way of finding acceptance with God and coming before God into his presence, not by keeping the law or under the old covenant of Moses. But Jesus came making a new covenant through the cross, which we celebrate every, week, every time we take communion. We celebrate his blood as a new covenant, a new way, a new approach. Uh, and, and that's the message. And it's a message that, that we must proclaim. And, and uh, let me just be super clear on this, right? Uh, a lot of people think they do evangelism. A lot of people are out sharing God, sharing Christ. But oftentimes the way it gets shared is this. If, you know, God loves you, and if you trust him, he will help you. Now, there is some truth in that. God does love you. God loves the world. And, and certainly God wants and wills his help to those who seek and trust him. But that is not the gospel, right? And if that's as far as it goes, you are not doing what Paul says is necessary, right? The message people must hear is Christ crucified, right? That God didn't just come, that he, he doesn't just love us. He's not just about giving his power and goodness to help us. That all of that culminated in the cross, Right? God's love was expressed supremely when he sent his son as Messiah to die for us. His goodness is, is un, unchallenged and unending, but his goodness is seen supremely on saving us through sacrificing his son. Right? And his power is, is for us. God is able to help us. But that help uh, is impossible except through the power of the cross. Right? The power of the cross is what makes God's the rest of God's powers we'll see in a minute available to us, right? So this is the message we must proclaim um, Christ crucified. And we must proclaim it, right? Uh, it, Paul verbally and probably powerfully and forcefully told them this message. 
It's, it's the call of every believer to be setting before the lost world Christ crucified. Right? Are we serious about that? Are we passionate about that? Now, maybe you're not like Paul. Maybe you're not like a public speaker. Maybe you can't see yourself getting up in front of a lot of people, uh, setting forward Christ. That's okay. In any relationship God gives you, you have opportunity uh, by, by the leading of the Spirit and with wisdom to set before lost people crucified Christ. Right? And it's not a message only for lost people, but as we'll see, it's a message for, for everybody. Right? This is a message we never get away from. You've been a Christian 50 years, 100 years, maybe you're as old as Averill. I've got to pick on my elders just because I love them. <laughs> right? Still need, still need Jesus, right? Still need Christ crucified. We never outgrow that. We never exhaust it. Right? So that's the message. But of course, the message by itself is, is not effective until it's received. Until the people who hear it respond to it. And certainly the, the, the Galatians did. And, and this comes down to kind of the heart of Paul's argument and how he really un, unravels their logic. Uh, and he says, let me ask you just this one question. And with this one question, he really, um, he really ends the whole thing. He goes on beyond this. But really this one question is pretty decisive. Um, and, and the one question is this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Right? How did you receive uh, Christ? Uh, by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Uh, one question. Uh, and uh, the way this question works, he, he says basically, and he's, he's going to ask them a couple more questions, but the bottom line is that they, they experienced the Holy Spirit and they experienced not only at their conversion, but were continuing to experience the power and presence of God in their life. And, and, he, and so he asked, that, is this experience you're having with Christ and with the Holy Spirit, this experience of God's presence and miracles that we'll see in him, and even miracles, uh, did this happen through uh, hearing by faith or by receiving the law? Well, the good news for the Galatians, they were never Jews. Uh, they had not been exposed uh, to Judaism. The first thing they heard was Paul preach. And when Paul preached the gospel, the Christ crucified, and they received it, apparently they, they received the Holy Spirit in a very dramatic way. Now, Paul doesn't describe how, but it was tangible. Uh, it came, perhaps they spoke in tongues, perhaps there were prophetic utterances, or uh, we don't know. But it was probably very charismatic, as often happened in the, in the New Testament time, but not always. Um, uh, and so they couldn't say it was by keeping the law, because they hadn't heard that yet, right? That hadn't happened yet. It wasn't until later that the Judaizers come and said, oh, you're missing out on something. And Paul says, what are you missing out on? You got the Holy Spirit, and you, you experienced it in your life in a powerful and tangible way. How did you get it? Well, there's only one answer. Through hearing by faith. By hearing the message of the gospel and responding to it. Um, and that's kind of the end of the book. He could have ended the book right there and go, see? Right? God came to you through faith, through the gospel. End of story, right? But he, of course he goes on, so so do we. Need to go on. Uh, they responded to the message, and it was that response to the message that brought about their experience of the Holy Spirit. So how did they respond? What, what did they do when they heard that message that, 
that made it effective for them hearing and receiving the Holy Spirit and experiencing all of God's work in their life. Well, Paul uses this, this phrase, hearing with faith. Very loaded words. Uh, also, a lot of debate on what they actually mean, but the, the general uh, in meaning is, is, is clear that they responded to this message by hearing it and believing it. Right? Um, and, and, and the idea of these words, they really go together, so it's really one thing. It's hearing faith. It's not like they heard it and they believed, but it's actually a, a hearing that's full of faith, and it's a faith that's rooted in hearing the message. Uh, it echoes Romans 10, where Paul says, uh, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And it, it shows that uh, our faith can never be isolated or independent from the content of the message. Right? So if we don't hear the gospel message, if we are not hearing Christ crucified, if we're just hearing about God up there somewhere who somehow loves us, okay, we, we can't actually have the faith that's required to be saved. Because uh, the very he, uh, faith itself is rooted in hearing that, the content of that message. And likewise, the content of the message is empty and meaningless if it's not heard with faith. Right? So the people, the Galatians, as they heard it, uh, they, they, they heard it with ears that, that, that believed. Right? Uh, they didn't just accept it merely as historical fact and go, well, yeah, that's nice information. I, I, I heard that that happened. And sure, Jesus died and lived you know, for them only about 20 years ago. Uh, sure, I believe that, right? It's more than that, right? It's not just mental assent or accepting historical facts. Um, hearing with faith is accepting it as personal for me, right? That Jesus didn't just die 2,000 years ago on a cross for sins for people somewhere or somewhere. That he died personally for me. That his death was effective for my sins and effective to save my soul, right? That's faith, where I grab hold of those truths for myself personally. So whenever we do a baptism, I always ask the person, have you personally trusted in what Jesus did for you? Right? Uh, and that's hearing faith, right? It's not just assenting, it's not just consent, it's not just knowing the facts. It's claiming them for myself and entering into a relationship with God through what I know Jesus made possible on the cross. Um, several years ago, I was invited by uh, an American who was teaching at Chiang Mai University in uh, the comparative religions class. And he said, uh, I'm really not qualified to teach about Christianity. Would you teach my class about Christianity? So I said, yeah, sure. And he wanted to meet a fascinating guy, grew up in the United States, actually grew up going to church in a Christian family. But when he was a young adult, rejected it all in favor of Buddhism. And not like Thai folk Buddhism. I mean, this guy went into like the real Buddhism. And he actually ended up living 10 years in China uh, as a Buddhist monk. So this guy knew Buddhism really well. And so as we talked, and, and it was nice, you know, he's talking to me about sharing in his class about Christianity. So I had great opportunities to share with him the gospel and who Jesus is. And actually, he knew the facts, right? He'd grown up listening to it. He'd grown up hearing it. Um, he, he, knew, he knew it all. Right, and and at some level he even believed like he did not reject the historical Jesus. He consented that yeah I believe Jesus lived. I believe Jesus died on the cross. But as he talked, he says, look, he said, here's the thing. I wish I could believe in Christianity. 
He says, for one, it's the only religion where sin really gets taken care of. So I understand that, like in Buddhism, it's, it's a kind of endless, hopeless journey. Only in Christianity does sin really dealt with. Right? He understood that. Right? He, said, he said, I wish I could believe it. It has hope that no other religion has. But he said, in the end, he said, but you know what? I just can't believe it. Right? I can't, in the depth of my soul, believe it's true. Uh, he, had, he had some kind of uh, acceptance of the facts. He did not have hearing faith. And it was sad. And only, only unless God would open his eyes to see it and, and do that work of generating faith, faith in his heart would he ever come to Christ. Um, sad. And he's a very genuine guy. Um, but for the Galatians, they had, they had hearing faith. Hearing faith, right? Um, and as a result of that, uh, they, ex- they experienced in, the, in their life some, some significant things. Uh, and, and Paul mentions three. And, and uh, we want to look at these because these things are true of us as well. True not only the Galatians, but it's true of us. Um, and it's really the basis of his argument. And it's very interesting. Paul doesn't do this often, but he's basing his first argument to the Galatians on their own personal experience, not on some theology, not on scripture, although he gets there. He gets to a lot of theology, and he actually ends this with an answer uh, from, from the law. Uh, Abraham himself was made righteous, accounted righteous through faith. Right? So he, he gets to scripture. But his very first argument to them was their own personal experience. How did you experience God? And he, he says, first of all, when you started, at the very beginning, in the start of your spiritual journey, how did you experience God? Um, uh, it, uh, and the relevance for us is this. Uh, if their experience proves the gospel, and that's what Paul's going to say here, he says, your experience proves the gospel, proves that the only path is through hearing, uh, the hearing with faith in the crucified Christ not by keeping the law, right? And, it, and, and Paul says that their experience proves the gospel. Well, if that's true, then the gospel promises the same experience or results for us. Right? The gospel promises the same results for us. So, uh, so we can look at this like a mirror, both directions, right? Uh, their experience proves the gospel, but our understanding of the gospel promises that we should have the same kind of experience, and so he says, in the beginning, you experienced the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in a very tangible way. Again, I don't know what it was. Uh, uh, oftentimes in, in the New Testament, we see uh, new believers who first encounter Christ uh, receive the Holy Spirit with things like tongues and miracles. Right? Now, of course, all my Pentecostal charismatic friends will say, Amen! Right? Uh, just, just to balance it out, there are plenty of times in the, in the New Testament where they didn't receive the Holy Spirit with tongues or with charismatic gifts. Okay, uh, God works in a variety of ways, and the danger with this is that we want to press everybody into one formula. But whatever it was, it was unmistakable, right? The Holy Spirit came them on a way uh, in a way that everybody knew it. There was no mystery about it. It was, it was at some level very charismatic, very pouring out of God's, God's gift of the Spirit in a tangible, experiential way, whatever that looked like for them. Um, and it came at the moment of, of their, their hearing with faith. 
The moment they believed that message, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and indwelt them. Uh, And going into the rest of the New Testament, we know that this is the promise for us. When we are justified, Paul just talked about being forgiven and justified, our sins are blotted away. And and the way this works is it is the crucified Christ that, that opens the door for the Spirit to invade our life. Right? Through the cross, our sins are forgiven and we are justified. Uh, we said last week, our sins are blotted off our record. They're eliminated. And we stand before God righteous or right with Him, in right relationship with Him. And the result of what Christ has done is that now our bodies are a holy temple of God. So these Judaizers were saying, you know, you need to go to the temple because God's there. And Paul says, no. You are the temple. Don't you remember when you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit invaded your life because you, through the work of Christ, are a holy temple. And that's true for us right now today. Uh, The Holy Spirit lives in you. And you are the temple of God. You cannot ever get closer to God than you are now because He's in you. When you die and go to heaven, you're not going to be any closer to God than you are now. Okay, you might be more aware of it then, but you won't be any closer. Right? He lives in us. His Spirit dwells in us. As a permanent indwelling uh, Spirit of God's glorious presence. And this is His promise. Right? And not only does the Holy Spirit come upon us, but Acts uh, 1.8 tells us that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power. Um, if you have, have hearing faith, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have all the power, the resurrection of power, resurrection power of God at your disposal. Now, I think a lot of us don't know how, how that power works and live oftentimes our lives oblivious of its presence, but it's there, right? And the Galatians that experienced it from the first day of their conversion... Not because they had become spiritual giants, right? They were new babes in Christ and they were walking in this amazing power that came with the Holy Spirit. Do you want that in your life? Well, it's there, right? You have it. It's not something you have to hope for. You have it. You just need to learn how to use it. Um, That's what Paul says. He says, you uh, receive this Holy Spirit, not by works of the law. Well, he asks a question. Did you receive it by the law or by hearing with faith? No, it's hearing with faith. That's the answer. Uh, second, second thing he says, he says, again, are you so foolish? In case you forgot, <laughs> you're still foolish. Um, having begun by the Spirit, okay, so in the beginning, they got the Holy Spirit poured out. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now Paul kind of jumps from the very beginning to the very end. And he says, you, you are being perfected, and one day you will be fully perfected. Is that perfecting work of Christ happening uh, by, by the law, by, in the flesh, by keeping the law, or through the Spirit, by believing in, in the crucified Christ? What's the answer? Well, not by works of the law. They were being perfected. They were growing and being transformed and, and being made into new creatures. They were being perfected through, through the cross and through their faith in, in the work of Christ. This idea of perfected, um, oftentimes we want to think of it in, in terms of, of moral uh, perfection or sinlessness. 
And, and that's true, but Paul's already talked about that in justification. When he said you are justified, that means you are morally sinless. Right? And so really the word uh, to be justified carries for Paul much more the idea of being without sin. Uh, the word perfect really has more the idea of being complete, of being finished. Um, at one time, Bangkok was known as the city in the world with the most unfinished skyscrapers. A kind of a result of the crash in 1997, there were uh, dozens, I don't even know, maybe hundreds of unfinished skyscrapers in, in, in Bangkok, right? They were never completed. They never came to be the full of what they were designed and, and originally started off as. Uh, we certainly are a work in progress, but we will be, ple- we will be completed. We will, the work will be finished. Um, when? Not tomorrow, not the next day, but when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns and we are resurrected, we will receive a new body and a new life and we will be complete. We will be the absolute perfection of what God designed and created us to be. And of course, God does this work. How? By us keeping the law. And it's a work that we're in progress now. God is is in the process right now of transforming us, of changing us into new and different creatures. And and the Galatians had experienced some of this transforming work by the power of the Spirit. And again, how are we perfected? By keeping the law or by the work of the Spirit through Christ? Well, clearly it's through the work of the Spirit through Christ, not by the flesh. And and here, flesh, uh, Paul uses the word flesh to mean a lot of different things. Here, probably he mostly has the idea of being perfected in the flesh because most of the stuff Judaism was calling them to was very flesh-centered, right? They were to be circumcised, not spiritually, but actually physically, right? Pretty much in the flesh, right? They were to follow uh, dietary laws, okay? Those are bodily things about food, about external things. They were to be... um, keeping the Sabbaths, careful about where their body was on certain days and at certain times. Uh, Paul says you're trying to be perfected in the flesh by, by doing these bodily activities. And that is the old system. The old system is about the body uh, going through the motions, right? But he said you will be perfected through the Spirit inwardly as Christ transforms the whole life from the inside out. Right, that's, goal, uh, that's God's goal for us. Not simply con- conforming to outward habits, although we should have those, but, but that's not the goal, that we are perfected by, by looking good on the outside. Uh, but, but instead, we are to be transformed inwardly by the work of the Spirit and through the power of the cross. And it is the power of Christ crucified that transforms us and changes us from the inside out. And it's a radical change. God doesn't want to transform you just a little bit, make you just a little better, a little better version of you. Right? God wants a way better version of you, a way, way better version of you, a Christ-like version of you. Right? Do we want that? Well, God's doing it through the power of his spirit, through the power of the cross. Um, and, and finally, Paul says, um, he says, did you suffer so many things in vain? Uh, there's some debate on the word suffer. Probably a better translation in your Bible may have a footnote. Uh, it could be translated experience. 
And given the context here, I think that fits better because Paul's talking about their experience with the Spirit, their experience of what they've encountered as God's met them. Uh, Did you experience so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? And then finally, his last question, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you right now Okay, so he talked about the beginning, he talks about the end, and he says, and basically everything in between, right now, right? God uh, supplies the Spirit to you. Okay, so it's not just at our, our conversion, but daily God's pouring out his Holy Spirit in our life right now. And he said, you Galatians are experiencing it um, as, the, as the Spirit works miracles among you. So it isn't just that they maybe spoke in tongues or had words of prophecy at the beginning, but even to this day, the Galatians were experiencing the miraculous presence of the Holy Spirit in their midst. But Paul says, is that happening because you kept the law? No. It comes through hearing by faith. And he, he repeats the phrase again. He says, or is it by hearing with faith? And he gives the answer to all these in verse 6. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, so it is for you. Right? So it is for you. Um, our ever-growing faith and confidence in the power of the cross and the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to transform us uh, for his glory. Right? He says that happens only through the work of Christ and the hearing of faith. When I first came to Christ, I don't know, and some of my grandkids, for one, think I'm, I'm old enough that I could have been uh, saved in Galatia, and actually I was. I, I was saved in Galatia. Not, not particularly this Galatia, but uh, it was a church that was very Galatian. Uh, a church that was very uh, much into the teaching of the Judaizers. Of course, uh, the difference was they were not uh, teaching the law of Moses. They were teaching the law of fundamentalist Baptists, <laughs> which is a little different law. Uh, but it basically looked like this. Be in church every time the door opens. If you're in church only on Sundays, you're a loser. Just that's it. You're a loser, right? You're, you're like maybe barely saved. You've got to be in church every time the doors are open, which, which, by the way, was all the time. Like always, every night there was something. And like you've got to be in church. You've got to read your Bible uh, one hour a day. And they would say this. You've got to read your Bible one hour a day and pray one hour a day. Uh, and you can't do them simultaneously. Right? That's cheating, right? Um, you got to give at least 10%, uh, but there's bonus credits for giving more, right? And lastly, you need to be a soul winner. You need to be a soul winner. And uh, kind of the standard, the quota was like one a day. Like if, you weren't, if you weren't seeing one a day, well... And it wasn't that they didn't preach the gospel. They preached a, a gospel of faith in Christ, um, but it, it was like the Judas. It was. It probably was... A, a misdirected, if not a false gospel. Because they taught, yeah, you know, Jesus comes into your life and he kind of forgives sin, but then, boy, it's up to you to keep these rules because that's how you're going to be transformed right, into a good Baptist, which uh, ironically looked a lot like a Mormon. Uh, it was hard to tell the difference. Um, and it was, it was this external thing. It was this external thing. Um, and, and honestly, many good activities. I don't regret the hour I spent a day in, in reading my King James Bible, which was another rule, by the way. Um, 
I don't regret that. I'm sure God used it. I don't regret the hour I spent in prayer, even though most of the time I fell asleep. Uh, but, but here's the difference. Right? They, they can be good activities, but you can tell it's, it's law-based when, it's, when you have to keep score. And there you had to keep score, right? You had to keep score, and you had to report it, right? Uh, did, did you, how many souls did you win? And man, we had notches on our belt. I mean, we, had, we got stars for it. Right? We got credit if we read our Bible every day. It's all about keeping score. Uh, and that's a good picture that it's, it's just, it's, it's trying to be changed, transformed in the flesh by keeping the law. And then they would say, you know, if you're doing these things, you're going to be changed. And actually, I was changed. I started looking more and more Mormon all the time. Right? More clean cut, uh, more respectable, Right, not picking on Mormons. They're, they, they're fine-looking people, and so were these Baptists, fine-looking people. Right? Um, spiffy, right? In their suits and their short haircuts. Um, but I know, and, and this when I was in high school, I know for a fact that I was not being transformed. And I look back at that period of my life and some of the most horrific sins that I, I regret to this day, I did during that period. Right? when I was trying to be a good Christian, when I was reading my Bible and praying, and I was going to church, and I was giving my, time, my 10%, right? and I was being a soul winner, uh, and I was sinning like crazy because I was not being changed inwardly. It was all external. Right? And, and Paul says that, that that is not how it works. Right? That is not the way of the power of the cross uh, through faith. Um, so how are we doing it, right? How are we uh, being transformed and changed? And it's true that, uh, you know, if we are being changed inwardly from the inside out, we will become more obedient. It will uh, have impact on our outward life. We will become more obedient but it won't be because we're conforming to outward standards or laws. It's because we're being changed inwardly into the very image and likeness of Christ. And we don't do the things that we did before because they are unthinkable to us. Because our very nature has been morphed and changed to where we no longer desire those things. And while we may be tempted by them, they, they no longer have power over our life because the power of the cross has broken that uh, bondage to those things. Um, you know, we may not be guilty of being Judaizers, but how easy it is to make our Christian life all about those externals, all about keeping score, all about appearing good outwardly. But Paul says that's not how you experienced it, right? You experienced life-transforming power inwardly because the Holy Spirit was in you and was working in you. Not only in you, but through you, doing miracles in your life and miracles around you. Right, and as I said, we can, we can reverse this. Paul's argument is that because you experience those things, you can know the gospel is true and powerful. But I would challenge us the other way around. Because the gospel is true and powerful and we put our faith in it, we should be experiencing those things. So are you? Right? Are you experiencing the powerful presence of God and the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, a lot of us may think, well, I don't think so, right? You may think, I've, I've never spoken tongues. 
And I even tried once, and it just didn't work. Right? Uh, I've never, I've never had like this very dramatic encounter where I felt like warm fuzzies and felt on fire, or felt this ecstatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, am I missing something? Um, let me talk about real life experience. Uh, real quick, we'll close with three ways that uh, I think we can experience God's power and presence in our life through the Spirit as we put our confidence with hearing faith in the cross of Christ. First, uh, it really does begin with faith, right? And here's the faith, that we really believe God's promise that when we put our faith in, in Christ and in his work on the cross, that the Holy Spirit is poured out in our life, okay? We know it's true, not because we have some experience, but because Jesus promised it. Right? So it's not about our experience that verifies it. Now, it did for the Galatians. right? But that's not the test. The test is, is it true? And we know, actually, that experience can be very deceptive and misleading. I can experience lots of things. I had a professor in seminary who would say, well, did you really experience God, or was it just indigestion? Because you had too much pizza for lunch, right? Um, experience can be very misleading but God's promises are certain and God promises that when you put your faith in Christ the Holy Spirit is poured out in your life do you believe it? well you believe it if you live like it's true that you live a a life knowing his power is there for you um and not, not always by outward signs, but by claiming his promise. Second, uh, we need to talk a little bit about the way the Spirit works. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 3 that we know there's a Spirit that's like the wind. We know the wind is there because we see the trees move, not because we see the wind. In other words, uh, we know the Spirit is there because we see the evidence of the Spirit. We see how the Spirit moves, but we'll never see the Spirit directly. Right? And that's, that's a good reminder for us. Uh, we will not see the Spirit or encounter Him directly. He's there. He is in us. Uh, but He's an invisible force in our life. However, we should see, we should see the wind blowing. Right? We should see the Spirit moving and working around us. But sometimes it's very subtle. Um, and it may not be so outwardly spectacular. But he's moving. There's, there's, he's influencing. He is changing. Um, for me, one of the things that I felt what came, that I knew the Spirit had come into me when I first came to Christ is that uh, before I knew Christ, I was very depressed. And there was just this, this huge sorrow. It was like a dark black cloud over my whole life. And no matter, I was young, I was, I was a kid, no matter how much I would have fun with things, there was always this sorrow. This, this weight of depression over me. When I uh, came to Christ, that was gone. And there was, there was a joy there, a peace there. And it wasn't like joy like I was laughing. I don't know if I would have even called it joy. But there was something different, right? As I saw the wind of the Spirit move in my life. Um, we should see uh, the Spirit moving as our behavior and our thoughts are changed. I remember sharing Christ with a guy, long story, we'll go into the whole story, a great story, but for another day. But he had come to Christ and uh, had put his faith in Christ and he had all kinds of problems. And in fact, his wife was uh, taking him to court for domestic violence because he drank all the time and he would beat his wife. 
And I went to his home one day after I, about a week after I, uh, he uh, re- re- received Christ, and I went to take him a Bible, and I got there, and he was telling me about all the crazy things happening in his life, and you could just see, you could see that this guy was different, totally different. And one of the things he said to me, he says, I don't know what happened, I don't know what's wrong with me, but he said, the other day I went to this party, and, and everybody there was drinking alcohol, and he said, I couldn't drink it. In fact, he says, I, I left the party and I came home and I took all my alcohol and I just poured it down the drain. He says, I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> it's like, I think the Holy Spirit is like working in your life, right? And he didn't know the Bible. He didn't, he didn't know drinking was bad or wrong, but he knew for him it was a bad thing, right? right? Those, are, those are miraculous moves and works of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, so the Spirit does work. And it is miraculous, even, even if it's not dramatic in the scientific sense, right? Like we may not walk on water, we may not raise the dead. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not working miraculously and powerfully in our life. Uh, lastly, uh, Paul says uh, these, these words that should wake us all up. Um, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And the reality is that I think oftentimes we miss out on the power of the Spirit because we are trying to be perfected uh, through the flesh by keeping the law. And we stifle the work of the Holy Spirit in our, in our life because we're not depending on the Holy Spirit, we're depending on me. Right? We're believing it's up to me to try harder, to be more diligent, to have more willpower. And it doesn't work. It does not work. All that will show us is how how good we are at failure. Amen? If you haven't figured that one out yet, oh, I need to pray for you, right? Because that's all we end up in is failure. And if we're experiencing more failure in our life than we want, the good sign is we're not understanding what it means to go forward in the power of the Spirit, to live a life of dependence and reliance on Him, through what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Jesus did the work that makes it possible. Jesus did the work on the cross that breaks the power of sin. And it's the Holy Spirit that applies his work to our life to change and transform us. Um, uh, That may not be the reason. Maybe we're just not seeing what the Holy Spirit's doing, but I think it's a good question to ask. If we keep bumping into failure if we feel like we're not experiencing the presence of God in our life and His Spirit working and moving in us. Maybe it's because we're like the foolish Galatians. And I'm not going to call you foolish, but Paul might, right? I know I'm foolish, often. And I try to do this myself. To do what God has already accomplished for me in Christ. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.